to Well, I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. I can honestly say that every one of my guests has highlighted something new about the condition and how it affects us all, about myself, about life and what's important in it. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum Kay lived with vascular dementia for her last 10 years. Her diagnosis came about in the wake of a terrible crisis. And when it did, my family and I knew nothing about the condition. Looking back, I think we'd been in denial about what might be wrong with mum. We were worried, frightened and overwhelmed, so we buried our heads in the sand for far too long, a scenario which is sadly all too common. Now though, through my writing and campaigning, I know so much more about this cruel condition. It is cruel, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But I know now that it is possible to live a decent, if changed, life with dementia. I know it's down to society, to all of us, to help those with the condition live better, more fulfilled and satisfying lives. And I know that it's often the smallest things that make the most difference. The poet Sylvia Plath wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. Dementia teaches you this too. I first met today's guest through her blog, and from the moment I started reading it, I felt I knew her. She writes as she speaks, indeed as she is. Positive, witty, resilient, genuine, wise and a wonderful wordsmith. Such are her prose skills that this former NHS manager is the author of a groundbreaking memoir that was selected as Radio 4's Book of the Week, chosen as one of the Times newspaper's Books of the Year and made it onto the Sunday Times bestseller list. Anyone who's even remotely interested in dementia, and even if you're not, will probably know by now that my playmate today, to pinch one of her fabulous catchphrases, is Wendy Mitchell. And her remarkable best-selling book is called Somebody I Used to Know. Because Wendy, who once led a hectic if organised life, is in many ways no longer the person she was. In 2014, at the age of 58, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and everything changed. In a classic stroke of down-to-earth genius, Wendy started a daily blog to service her memory. She couldn't have written her memoir without it. I read it as often as I can. It's called, cleverly, Which Me Am I Today? And as I prepared this intro yesterday, I looked up Wendy's latest entry and read, As I lay settling down last night, my curtains opened, and I saw a rockabye baby moon shining bright in the sky. Even before I scrolled down and saw her stunning photograph of the Rockaby Moon, I was immediately drawn into her world, her last full day in paradise, in Keswick. It's what Wendy does so well. She loathes her dementia for stealing away everything that once made her who she was and for the havoc it will wreak on her two adult daughters' lives. But she also recognises that it has given her a rare perspective on the world. She's capitalised on this as a first-class dementia champion, her new life becoming as busy in different ways as the life she used to lead. Pre-pandemic, Wendy was to be found travelling the country by rail, bringing her trademark humour and insights to primetime television and radio shows, to conferences and colleges. As with all the true greats, whatever their field, Wendy makes it seem easy. In truth, each cab and train journey involves meticulous preparation, military timing and countless iPad reminders. And as she once discovered, she can never stop pushing herself on. 
To stop, to take time off, is to let Alzheimer's win. So Wendy Mitchell keeps on writing, her camera keeps clicking as she trundles around her village, or as she's recently started doing again, traversing the country, opening all our eyes to what dementia is and how it's possible to live a successful and rewarding life with it. Today, one of my greatest heroes, or heroines, I'm not sure which title of any she likes, is joining me from Yorkshire. Wendy, it's my huge privilege to give you a very, very warm welcome to Well, I Know Now. That's so kind of you, Pippa, and it's lovely to talk to you as well. That's great. It's lovely to see you too, actually, via Zoom. (laughs) First, I want to talk about your paper memory, your blogs. Your stamina, Wendy, is phenomenal. My blogs become rarer and rarer. Yours remain daily. And it's very interesting that you yourself say you can type quicker than you can think or speak. That's right, yeah. My blog's actually my memory, and that's why I type every day. Otherwise, I'd miss the things that I did yesterday. And typing is my escape from dementia yes because that part of my brain hasn't been affected yet yes so I I can literally type words that haven't come into my mind yet my fingers do the typing it it really is and I'm often shocked almost at what's coming on the screen yes because it's my fingers and brain that are doing the the work not not my mind, not my thinking. Were you always a bit like that? I mean, were you always somebody who had a remarkable gift for the written communication? Oh, no, I, I don't think so whatsoever. I always think about never having the time to do these sort of things. I used to be a sports fanatic. I used to be into every sport imaginable. And that used to take my time up. As for typing and writing has only come with dementia, as dementia gave me that gift of time, which enabled me to use my talents in other ways. Yes, that's so interesting. And I don't know if you will be able to summon this up, but in your book, there's a very interesting passage about when you stopped blogging for three weeks. And then when you sat at your iPad, you could no longer remember what to do. That's right, yeah. It is a case of use it or lose it. That's why routine is so important for people with dementia. Only I didn't realise it at that moment in time. Yes. How important it is to do these things every day. Yes. I gave myself a what I saw as a rest from typing. Mm. I think it was over the Christmas period, so I just thought I deserved a break. And it wasn't until I went back to the iPad that I realised I just didn't know what I was doing anymore. And that's a really, really frightening experience. I bet. Because it's the one thing I love to do. Yeah. 
as I say, my escape from dementia. So the, the idea of losing that was just unthinkable. And it was only by just pure, pure luck that a friend was on the other end of emails that day. That's right. And realised I was obviously struggling with something. Even she didn't realise what it was at the beginning. But then as soon as the gobbledygook started to arrive, mm. she realised it was the typing that had gone. Yes, and she was very clever herself because she replied to you to copy her letters on the keyboard to find yeah. the same shapes. Yeah. If she hadn't have done that, it might have been a whole new story. Yes, and so obviously once she did that and you copied them, I think reading your book, it was relatively quick then that it came back to you and you typed a reply, thank you, I'm back. That's right, that's right. I mean, it felt like hours. I bet. But in reality, it was probably a couple of hours. But that consistency of going over and over just obviously clicked something in my brain. Yes. That brought the familiarity back again. Yeah. And thank goodness it did. Yes. But then from then, that gives you this, well, not a compulsion, but I mean, you really feel you need to carry on every day. That's right. And even if I don't have anything to type, if I don't release a blog, I still type. Yes. Simply so it doesn't happen again. Yes. And it's not happened again or has it? Well, the typing didn't stop because I make sure I type every day. But again, I gave myself a few days off the blog and then I'd forgotten how to publish a blog. Mm. So I knew all the typing and everything because I did that every day. Mm. But I'd stopped the process of publishing it and what buttons to click. That's quite and complicated, though, because I know through my own blog that that in mm. itself, Wendy, is quite a complicated process. I've just tried to change my blog format and I've gone back to the old one because trying <laughs> to get the new one, it's just too different. Yes, so that's remarkable yeah. that you can not only do all this writing, but you can still, because of the number of times, the regularity with which you've published your blog, you can still do that. You've hit the nail on the head by saying the regularity. Mm. It is that consistency mm. that helps to make it almost automatic. Yes. And that is... Really, one of the ways in which I say I, I, I love you because you're very sort of down to earth and practical. So mm. things like a consistency and not changing things too much for people with dementia is so helpful and actually is so simple or could be in many ways. Yeah, often things are made complicated when in fact simplicity is the key for everyone, not just for people with dementia. Exactly. Just that consistency of and simplicity of use is good for anybody. Mm. And you have developed some remarkable skills post your dementia diagnosis in terms of the way you use technology and you use your mm. iPad. Can I just tell everybody 
that Wendy got us to this Zoom, just as Dr. Jennifer Butte, who I think you know Wendy, yeah, also yeah. helped me out. And Dr. Jennifer Butte is also living with dementia, but you two are much better at Zoom than I am. And you got me here today. I've managed to set up two meetings somehow, and I, I sort of slammed the door in your face of the first Zoom you meeting. Did. <laughs> anyway, you forgave me. But again, it's the consistency. We have Zooms every week with my playmates. So when lockdown happened and all the face-to-face meetings stopped, we didn't have to learn the art of Zoom like lots of people did because we'd, we already met by Zoom every week. And who are your playmates? Oh, the Zoomettes. <laughs> <laughs> First thing that comes to first people that come to mind, we're all women living with dementia who put the world to rights in a an hour-long session that we had together. But also my support group, Minds and Voices, we met by Zoom every week. So it's it really is consistency is so important, routine. Mm. Did you discover that quite quickly? Or did it evolve? No, very quickly discovered that routine was so important because if your routine is broken, then you're just confused Mm. because Mm. you're expecting something to happen next and it doesn't. And so it takes us longer to process that change in routine that makes it so difficult for us. You know, changing routine is... A mammoth task for us. Yes. At the beginning of lockdown, my routine was very much stopped yes. in its tracks. I couldn't travel. I couldn't do all the things that I did consistently day after day. Mm. Mm. And I was in a really low place before I manufactured another routine for myself. Mm. But it took a while. Did you find that other people living with dementia did that too? Some did. You know, I'm very, very lucky because I'm intuitive. Mm. And probably 50% of my playmates are intuitive. Mm. And if you're not intuitive, then you can't make sense of what's happening. It's difficult to make sense of why you feel like this or what to do to put it right. Can you think of an example? Well, simply, if we think of COVID again and lockdown, Mm. I was intuitive enough to know I needed a new routine. Yes. But another friend of mine, another playmate, couldn't understand why something was keeping it inside. Mm. He couldn't understand and get to grips with the fact that Everybody had to stay inside. Right. It didn't make any sense for mm, him. Mm. For him, he felt a prisoner. Yes, yes. Whereas for me, I can understand what's happening in the world outside as well as the world inside my head. Yes, yes. You can see that through your writing mm. too. Mm. One way I heard you describing dementia, which I thought was a very good way of putting it, was driving. 
So when you learn to drive, my daughter learned a few years ago, and as somebody who's been driving for decades myself, when I'm sitting in that car and she doesn't know what to do at all, it is such a difficult, complicated, it involves coordination, doesn't it? It's a bit like stroking your tummy and tapping your head at the same time. You've got to think about indicating and looking in your rear view mirror. Once you've been driving for a while, you do it without thinking. That's right. It becomes automatic. Dementia took me back to being that learner driver. Yeah. Of having to think of each process and do it step by step. Yes. Things are no longer that automatic without thinking act. Nothing is. Making a cup of tea? Yeah. Well, making it, it's, things are just slower. Mm. Because I know what to do, but it's making your brain and your body coordinate at the same time to actually yes. complete the task. Yes. And the brain works so much slower than the rest of your body. Yes. That that's why it's a process rather than a just making a cup of tea. Yes, that's interesting. One of the things you do on a Dementia Friends course is you are asked to write down all the component parts of making a cup of tea. And it's such an interesting thing to sit down and do because everybody Mm. on my course missed out so many component parts because you just don't think. I think I started off with a kettle and then they said, well, no, you've got to fill the kettle first. You know, and you just don't think about it. So I thought that was a very good analogy that you had. And before your dementia, Wendy, you were, in a sense, a different person. Of course, you're the same Wendy Mitchell, but you were so busy and always on the go. And now you have embraced this aspect of stopping a bit and you sit with Billy, the cat, who I'm not quite sure is Billy your cat or your daughter Gemma's cat? (laughs) Well, I always say he's my cat, but he's actually my daughter's cat. Right. (laughs) Me and Billy know different. (laughs) Yes, yes. And now is a good time, Wendy, for you to read that very nice passage. And I just want to say again, to reiterate, it is a brilliant book you've written with Anna Wharton, because not only is it very practical, it gives lots of down-to-earth advice, taking the doors off your kitchen so they don't get so confused, taking photographs of the insides of your wardrobes so you can remember where your clothes are, things like that, and using timers on your iPad. But then also at times there are some very reflective moments when you talk to that somebody you used to know to that pre-dementia Wendy. This passage you're going to read, which involves Billy, and is very funny, actually, does a little bit of that. So would you like to read it to us, Wendy? Yeah, of course. Billy comes to sit beside me, and as we look out over the orchard, just to have him near makes me feel calm inside. He jumps up onto my lap, and I run my fingers through his soft fur. I know I wouldn't have been able to do this before, but I've learned so much from animals. 
this change in my personality, this softening in one part of my brain has meant that I've made time to sit and stop and watch, much like they do. Animals lead a simple life. They live in the moment. And that's what I've found I have in common with Billy, an appreciation of now. Many fears have left me now. Perhaps it's because every day nothing can be more frightening than dementia. I live every day with the unknown, which is possibly why I'm not afraid of cats anymore, of the dark, of the disease. A few moments later, we hear the front door open and both of us go downstairs to greet Gemma home from work. We meet her in the kitchen, flick on the kettle for a cup of tea, and while Billy sits in my lap, Gemma and I catch up on the day. Twenty minutes must pass like that, and then Billy jumps down from my lap and sniffs at his empty bowl, then sits staring at it. Oh, I say, I must have forgotten. Gemma looks at him unsure. The vet says Billy has to lose weight, but he must be getting fed by someone else because his diet isn't working. You are only giving him a few biscuits when you're on Billy duty, aren't you, Mum? Oh, yes, I'm sure I do, I say, as I shake more biscuits into his bowl <laughs> and Billy purrs happily. That's lovely. Very funny, but also has quite a lot of messages going on there in that lovely little passage. Yeah, about how different you were. Were you actually frightened of of, uh, dogs? I was terrified of any animals. Wow. I can't tell you how terrified I used to be of animals. Gosh. And suddenly, I adore all animals. Yeah. my daughter has a dog now, and I'm, I have him for a day. Wow. Which would be unheard of. It's just enabled me to see how comforting they can be, how non, non-judgmental they are. Oh, absolutely. They're non-judgmental, aren't they? They're not going to mm. raise and their eyebrows. No, and as long as you feed them, they're happy. Yeah, it's all about food. It's all about it food. Is. Yes. But you've touched on something else there that's very interesting. And that's how, although dementia takes and takes, you say it's a succession of losses and takings away. You took away your running. You used to be a runner. That's how you first realised something was wrong. You, you fell on a run and then you fell again on a run. And it's taken away your baking. You used to bake. You know, it's taken away so much from you. But it's given you one or two things. I never dwell on my losses mm. because we've no control over them. Mm. And instead I find new things that, I call them the gifts of dementia. Yes. Simply to irritate dementia, really. <laughs> I don't think he would like the thought of gifting you things. No. But it's gifted me so much mm. as well as taking away. Yes, you... you... You say that there's a possibly one of the things it's given you is this other life, really, because you about got to know, but Julianne Moore, 
the very famous actress, was in Still Alice, a film about a woman who aged 50 develops Alzheimer's. And you advised on the film and you sort of got to know her a little bit, didn't you? I met her at the premiere in London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She asked you if she got it right, if you felt she'd got dementia right when she played the role. And you said that she got the eyes spot on because you told her your eyes told me that you had dementia in the film. And Julianne was very happy at that. And she asked you how you live your life. And you said, which you've just told me, you live it for the moment. You don't make plans anymore. You take each day as it comes. And when in the book, at that point is when you say, and for a moment, I have that strange feeling again, as if Alzheimer's is a gift, as if we could all learn something from the harsh lessons it teaches. thought that was mm. really well put. Mm. 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 So can you remember anything about the beginnings of your dementia and your diagnosis? Oh, gosh, I can remember the day of the diagnosis as if it was yesterday. Can you? And that was because that's with hindsight, really. The whole process of being diagnosed is so negative. Yes. It's so, so clinical. Yes. There's no positivity whatsoever. Yes. And it's almost as if they concentrate on everything you can't do, mm. everything you won't be able to do. In, no wonder people go into a depression when they're diagnosed. Yes. It starts with the diagnosis process, and sadly... That's where it all goes wrong for so many people. Absolutely. I was given a handshake, uh, a sad look, mm. and told there was nothing they could do. But if only my neurologist at the time mm. had said to me, yes, the diagnosis is that of young onset dementia, mm. and not something anyone would wish to have, mm. but think of it as the start of a different life. Yeah. A life of adapting. Mm. And although there's nothing I can do, mm. remember, there's still so much life you still have to live. Absolutely. How different I would have felt coming out of that waiting room. Yeah, but you proved, you've proved that, haven't you, as well? You know, so well. But I was like... I was like so many and went into that deep depression and it was only seeing my, the effect that had on my daughters that made me think that the only person was, who was going to help us out of this mess was me mm. because nothing else was happening. So mm. that's when I decided that I had to find a way of helping us. Mm. Mm. And you became, well, a dementia champion, sort of whatever that is. Mm. Well, the first person that turned me around from being in depths of despair mm. to giving hope was actually playmate Agnes Houston from Scotland. Oh, yes. Came to York, mm. where I lived at the time, 
and she gave a talk at a Women of the World Day. Right. And I can remember, I have the images so clearly in my head, not of what she said, but of the fact that she spoke. Because mm, Agnes, for anybody who doesn't know, Agnes Houston also lives with dementia. She does. And she stood up and spoke and spoke so eloquently. And she'd been diagnosed something like 10 years then. Yes. And that was the spark I needed that gave me hope. Right. You know, so often it is other people with dementia who can really help you, isn't it? I can't emphasise enough the power of peer support. Yes. It has an amazing ability to turn people around. Yes. To bring their confidence out again that yes. they dementia stripped from them. Yes. It's hearing other people say, Oh well, I that's happened to me. This is what I did. Yeah. Just hearing those words make it abundantly clear that you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And as I say, it's I can't stress enough how important peer support is. Mm. And for you, the other big pillars of support have been your two daughters, Gemma and Sarah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've been on this journey, if you like, together from the start. And so we've, we're always learning. Mm. But there was my oldest daughter, Sarah, who said quite recently, I had to learn to let go of my fear. Mm. And you don't think of it like that unless you actually consider what you're doing to your loved one. Because for the kindest of reasons, you start doing things for us. It happened with me and my daughters. They started to put on my coat. Mm. But I could still put on my own coat. Mm. And I soon realised that when they weren't there, I was beginning to get in a bit of a pickle putting on my own coat. Yes, you're back to the routine and the regularity of doing it, yeah. aren't you? So you needed to keep doing it yourself. I did. Well, I said to my daughters, you know, if you don't stop putting on my coat, you're going to have to come round to my house every time I want to go out. Yeah. And so that made them stop immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And also, of course, there's a conflict within them because it's everybody's natural instinct to want to help you. As I say, it's, it's the kindest of reasons mm. people do things for us. Mm. But it's actually the worst thing in the world you can do. Yes. Because it makes us reliant on you. Absolutely. And it de-skills us so that you're left with having to do that one thing forever. Yes. It could have been avoided by just helping us in the way that enabled us to do it. Yes, supporting you to do uh, things, maybe. Supporting us, yeah, supporting us by perhaps saying which coat might be useful today because it's cold outside, but allowing us to put that coat on. It's very difficult. It's very difficult at that level. And it's also what society needs to do. Recently, earlier on this year, you were giving evidence, really, or contributing to the all-party parliamentary group on housing and older people. And I have to say, your contribution 
was great. And you were talking about how the housing could be made so much more supportive of people with mm. dementia to ease their lives a bit just by mm. the colours, by the light, by construction, the navigation systems within a, a building. Mm. And I know when I visited various different places for people with dementia, there's one near me actually, a hub for people with dementia, and it's all curves rather than sharp corners and it's the right colours and they have these sort of light sources in the ceiling and it's just mm -hmm. thinking about it. And I know one of your great messages is get people with dementia mm -hmm. in at the very beginning of planning, whether it's a transport mm -hmm. issue or a housing issue, because otherwise you could waste a lot of money doing what you think people with dementia will want. That's society believing that we can't. Mm -hmm. We can't possibly have an opinion. We can't possibly know better than they do. Mm. We're the experts by experience mm. Mm. of knowing what works for us. Mm. So why don't you listen to us? Why, mm. why on earth would you think you know better? I know. When put like that, it's so obvious. I'm often asked to go round places and see if they're dementia appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I say to them, but if I come up with this list of what's wrong, are you going to put it right? Mm. And so often it's, oh, well, we've got it right because we had the architect, we had yeah. all the people that knew, but they didn't have anyone with dementia. Mm. And the local hospital asked me, to do the same mm. <laughs> and the person with, with, was with me they tottered up that it cost over a million to put things right yeah you know we're not saying it for the tiny tiny little things we're saying it because it'll cost you an awful lot of money wasted mm. because your building won't be appropriate for the very people you want to welcome into it absolutely I mean mm. it's just so obvious mm. So obvious. So in an ideal world, what's the one or two big things that could be done? Or maybe actually little things that could be done to really help people with dementia just living their lives like the rest of us do who don't happen to have dementia? Well, when I moved to this house... I didn't realise it was so totally inappropriate for me. I chose it, the huge window I had that looks out over onto a paddock. Mm -hmm. Immediately I stood there, I said, yes, I'll, I'll buy this house. Mm. Because I bought so many houses, my daughters didn't even think mm. that I wasn't capable of choosing. And so I've had to make tiny adaptions mm. to enable me to stay living at home mm. and they're not expensive ones no you know you mentioned taking the doors off mm -hmm. that just needs a screwdriver mm. also I put luminous stripes on my steps because I kept falling up and down them because I couldn't see the edge mm. so you know, something as simple as a luminous stripe with a paintbrush and paint. Mm -hmm. And I have 
white banisters on a very light wall. So I had trouble seeing the banisters. So I just put simple blue tape. Yes. Every now and then. Yes. So I could grab the blue tape as yes. I walk up. Yes. Yes. And technology. Technology enables me to live at home alone. It does, doesn't it? I can, you know, from reading mm. your things, I can see that, how much it's enabled you, which is great, mm. absolutely great. Things like Alexa, who can put my lights on upstairs before I go to bed. Yes. So I don't fall up the stairs in the dark. Yes. And I don't have to find the light switch. She does it for me. Yes. And even putting the kettle on for me. Yes. So I don't forget by the time I've got downstairs what I'm yes. doing. You know, simple things that make life less stressful. And they allow you to maintain your independence, which is a huge thing, mm. actually. So from little yeah. things, you get a huge consequence. Oh, mm. My daughters know I never want them to care for me. Mm. So living alone, I have to keep finding a way to enable me to keep living alone. So whenever dementia throws something at me, I have to find a solution. You seem to quite like this outmanoeuvring dementia, mm-hmm. almost like a chess game. It definitely is a, a game that mm. we play, mm. and I don't like losing. Mm. Well, I think you're winning at the moment. I mean, recently you did another mm. glide, didn't you? I did a power glide over... Paradise of Keswick, that was amazing. Oh, it was like being sat in a comfy armchair floating in the air. Really? It it ter- See, that terrifies me. I could never do that. <laughs> but as you said that, Wendy, listeners can't hear your face has lit up. <laughs> it really has. You've completely changed, actually. You just. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. It was so wonderful. Yeah. Um, I've lost all fear now of anything, so I just see it for what it is. Yeah. You know, floating about in the air. Yeah. Uh, it's just magical. Yeah. And I have to say, your photography is... I know this sounds like I'm just being sort of ridiculously gushy with you, but your photography is very, very good indeed. Was that... Were you a good photographer before your dementia? Where does that come from? I've always liked taking photographs Mm. but it was actually just before lockdown that I bought myself a camera Mm. my camera has been round my neck and out with me every day but also dementia again because our brains are slower Mm. we see things in more detail right we can suddenly spot a bee on a flower because our eyes remain on it for longer mm. than someone else. God, that's fascinating. Nature is, is so wonderful. Mm. And dementia gives us that time to mm. stare, mm. stop and stare, whereas we might just walk by and miss, miss that so, moment. So that's another gift. Mm, definitely is another gift. Mm. Well, as we draw to a close, there's another passage that we thought you could read, didn't we? And that's a very good description, I thought, of dementia itself, which is right at the very 
end of your book. It almost closes it. So would you like to read that, Wendy? Another lovely, yeah. haunting passage, really. A good day can turn foggy at the turn of a page. It happened today, mid-type. The haze appeared at first, as if I was driving through patchy mist. Everything slowed right down, and my thoughts became more fragmented, like wisps not fully formed. I know what to do now. I am prepared for this. I need to lie down, or simply sit still. I make it to the bedroom and climb into bed, pulling the duvet over my head, blocking out the midday sun. And with that, the outside world has gone. The me I'm left with is just a shell. The positive me is somewhere else, and instead, a numbness, an emptiness replaces my busy, creative mind. I want sleep to come and take me away, to pour its milky anaesthesia through my brain, washing away the mulch and leaving a sunnier day. I glance at my clock, but the numbers make no sense. I wake. It's still light. Where have I been? The sun is shining into my room. But the duvet is pulled up to my chin. I'm hot and I realise fully clothed. I push the duvet from me and lie there, still. I hear music on the radio, but I don't recognise the song. It's a few more moments before I turn to the clock beside my bed. 15.25, Monday, 10th of April. 2017. How long have I been here? When did the fog come down? There's a man speaking, the DJ from the radio. I try to catch his words as they float around the room like butterflies. I pin one, then another, and another. Oh, Steve Wright, a familiar voice. I'm coming back. Wow. That's one of the best descriptions of dementia from the inside out, as it were, I think. And the way I often hear people living with dementia describe it as a fog. Mm. And you get a day when you wake up and the fog descends. That's right. I started to call them hazes. Right. Because... They happen far more frequently now, and the fog gives me nowhere to go. Whereas a haze, a haze, I've got somewhere to go for when they get worse. Yes, I can completely understand that, yeah. And finally, I know we can't talk about this in any detail, but we are allowed to mention the really exciting fact You've got another book coming out. Yeah. Again, written with Anna Wharton? Yeah, yeah. We're very, such good friends now. Yeah. We know each other inside out. I so bet you do. It makes writing easy. My publisher, Bloomsbury, asked us to write another book. Yeah. And 
we thought long and hard about it, but in the end, we were so happy that with the result. And the book is called What I Wish People Knew About Dementia by someone who knows. Yeah. And it's out January the 20th. Yeah. And available pre-order. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've ordered mine. Oh, thank you very much. Oh God, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Um, no, I mean your 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 first book was extraordinary, uh, really, really good. And Wendy, I know, and I don't like podcasters who come across as uh, sort of fawning and flattering, but um, you're great. I, what you do is amazing, um, and nobody does it better, <laughs> to coin a phrase. So thank you very, very much. I hope you haven't got too tired with all this talking. Um, thank you so much yeah and hope to see you soon in the flesh thanks Wendy bye Wendy Mitchell a gentle soul as Karen Penny last week's guest described her but like Karen incredibly strong I'm just me Wendy says in her typically understated modest way but what a woman she is I felt that Karen and Wendy made good podcast companions and was keen to place them next to one another. They complement each other. Where Karen is exuberant, talking at a million miles an hour, her energy infectious. Wendy, with her dementia, considers her words carefully and speaks with measured phrasing. She has to. Her condition has made sure of that. Yet she is so wise, so positive, and cheeky in her own quiet way too. I admire the way she never dwells on her losses. Something that's far harder to achieve than she lets on. And I love that she does so to irritate dementia. And what about the Zoomettes? Women living with dementia who spend an hour a week putting the world to rights. How fabulous. I have enormous respect for Wendy. Two of her suggestions stood out for me. The importance of routines and consistency, as she discovered to her terrifying cost. And secondly, the strength to be found in peer support. What a huge boost you can give someone simply by making it abundantly clear that they are not alone. What I Wish People Knew About Dementia by Someone Who Knows. Published by Bloomsbury, out January the 21st. Pre-order it, read it, get to know Wendy through her writing, her typing. And you'll not only find a true friend, but you'll be conspiring with this wonderful woman to outwit her Alzheimer's. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast. And then together, perhaps we can further diminish the stigma increase the knowledge and quash the myths surrounding dementia.